snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. Since the day of Aden and Eve, mankind has encountered and felt up against countless obstacles. Yet among all the enemies we come across, death, the inevitable end for everybody, remains the most invincible one. Although our war against death is bound to fail, for thousands of years the human race has never eased the quest towards immortality. Numerous questions have been raised during our crusades, such as how to stop aging, how long should we live, and the foremost one, is there any way to cheat death? In his latest book, The Secret Pharmacist, or Du Yao Shi in Chinese, celebrated Chinese novelist Zhang Wei is trying to find out the answers. But has he found one? Let's go to Li Ningjing for more detail. It was 219 BC. Qin Shi Huang, China's very first emperor, had reigned over the country for 28 years with a potent mixture of military might and unparalleled authority. Reaching his twilight years, this ambitious monarch was determined to conquer death. During his visit to Mount Tai, he appointed Xu Fu, a court sorcerer, to seek out the elixir of life in the far-off fairyland. As legend has it, the necromancer took 3,000 young boys and girls with him and then set out to sea. But they never returned, and Xu's trace has never been found. Although Qin Shi Huang's pursuit for eternal youth was futile, his longing towards immortality seems to be passed down. For centuries, royals and nobilities, scholars and monks had sought the antidote to aging with brain and brawn. Some of these fanatics were labeled as warlocks, or some were called the secret pharmacists. Renowned literary critic Li Jingzhe elaborates. The secret pharmacist and traditional Chinese medicine practitioner are not the same thing. Of course, some of their practices sound similar. But pharmacists are more like the alchemists in the West. They also used different remedies to brew out the elixir of life. If one step goes wrong, they could end up dead. The popularity of this art reflects a very deserted and dark tradition of our culture. However, the introduction of modern science doesn't abolish it completely. This occult science reflects the fundamental imagination and belief of Chinese people. Even till this day, this longing is still deeply rooted in our psyche. Zhang Wei's latest novel, The Secret Pharmacist, or in Chinese, Du Yao Shi, is a tale of these arcane alchemists. Set in East China's Shandong province, the story takes us back to the early 20th century, when the once almighty Qing Empire waged its last stand to strengthen the grip over the country and the flame for revolution started to spark. But our protagonist Ji Zuo Fei is aloof to the vicissitudes of the outside world. 
Born into a pharmacist family that is well known for its members' longevity and fortune, the young man is determined to keep the family name by leading an ascetic life. But his aspiration is soon shattered to pieces as he encounters Chu Qijhi, a mysterious Methuselah, as well as an old acquaintance of Ji's late father. The centenarian coaxes this once abstinent hermit to carnal pleasure and turns Ji's life upside down. Chen Xiaoming, a professor in literature from Peking University, gives his understanding of the storyline. I think Chiu Qi Zhi is a well-written character. Even by the end of this story, we still don't know whether he is a villain or not. As the defender of the tradition, Chiu clashes with Ji Zhou Fei. But at the same time, he acts as the young man's mentor. So these two characters are sort of frenemies. Our main character is not only baffled by his entangled relationship with Chiu Qijie, he is also confused about all those women who appear in his life. Meanwhile, he is not aware of the coming of a new era. I think all the uncertainties he experienced were quite common at the turn of the 20th century. Although the troubled pharmacist tries to detach himself from the ever-changing world, reality still hits him hard. His adopted brother Xu Jing becomes the mastermind behind the uprising against the corrupted Qing government and drags the recluse into his plan. At the same time, a missionary hospital founded by Americans opens in the town, vying with the traditional Chinese pharmacy run by Ji's family. As the advocate of the antique alchemy, Ji Zuofei tries every means to defend his family honor, but ironically falls in love with a nurse from the hospital. In the eyes of Professor Chen Xiaoming, the setting of The Secret Pharmacist reminds him of Turkish Nobel laureate Orhan Pamuk's magnus opus, My Name is Red. My Name is Red features the relation between traditional miniature and Western painting, while in Zhang Wei's book he depicts the tension between Chinese medicine and Western medicine. Although the subjects are different, both stories depict the transition and decline of old civilization. In the novel, The Secret Pharmacist, the introduction of Western medicine is actually a metaphor. In fact, what Ji Zoufei has gone through reflects the downfall of agricultural culture in China at the turn of the 20th century. Mingling mystery, stream of consciousness with historical events and real person, The Secret Pharmacist is by no means an easy read. Although by the end of the story, our indecisive pharmacist finally sums up the courage to give up the family business for the sake of love, readers are still left in the dark. When you close the book, many unsolved questions might pop up in your heads, such as what is the true nature of alchemy and whether Ji Zuofei succeeds in achieving immortality. But for Ying Hong, the deputy editor-in-chief for the People's Literature Publishing House, readers need to be a little bit patient. Actually, this novel has multiple connotations. It's difficult to use one or two sentences to summarize its theme. You could label it love story or a heroic history about the 1911 revolution that oversaw China's last imperial dynasty. Well, you could also call it The Book of Regiment and Immortality. Born in the mid-1950s, author Jiang Wei is the winner of the 8th Modern Literary Award, one of the top literary prizes in China. 
That was Ningjing introducing us to the award-winning writer Zhang Wei's latest book, The Secret Pharmacist, or Du Yao Shi in Chinese. If you are really interested in Oriental esotericism, well, this obscure yet enigma-packed book is worth the time you invest. Okay, time to take a break. When we come back, let's continue our journey on mysteries as our reporter Doris investigates how the murder of an English woman haunted the last days of old China. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. You are listening to Ink and Quill with Yang Yong. Who killed Pamela Werner? It was the question on the minds of Beijing expats in the bitter winter months at the beginning of 1937. But with the Japanese invasion a couple of months later and the ravaging war against the Japanese invasion that came afterwards, the name Pamela Werner faded into history. It wasn't until 2011 that the case was again put under the spotlight in the book *Midnight in Peking* by British author Paul French. So, did he finally solve the murder of Pamela Werner? Our reporter Doris Wong spoke to the author to find out. So, first of all, Mr. French, how did you find out about this decades-old murder case? When I was looking through old newspapers, old. English language newspapers that used to be published in Shanghai. I came across the seventh of January, nineteen thirty-seven, and there was a story that this young nineteen-year-old English girl called Pamela Werner, whose father had been a British diplomat, had been murdered, and it was she was quite horribly murdered. So, who was Pamela, and what was she like? She was a nineteen-year-old girl who's just about to finish school. She's hoping to go to university in England. She was the adopted daughter of a man called E. T. C. Werner, who was a China scholar and a former British diplomat. Her mother had died. She lived with her father on a hutong in a lovely courtyard house that they had、uh, inhabited for a long time. She was privileged in that sense. Her father was very well connected. They had money. She was able to enjoy, if you like, the expatriate life of Beijing. But she was interesting in the sense that, although she was English, she spoke Chinese. She had Many Chinese friends. Her father was a great scholar of China, and so she was brought up not to kind of ghettoize herself in the way that many foreigners in China did, only mixing with other foreigners, only going to foreign clubs, foreign restaurants, and、mm-hmm. so on. She very much mixed with other people. This made her slightly different in the China of the 1930s. What was Beijing like back then? Well, of course, Beijing has changed so much. There's been so much development. Although I was very lucky that the hutong that Pamela lived on is still there. The Fox Tower is the only one of the four watchtowers of Beijing that remains. A lot of the area that was called the Badlands still remains around near Beijing Railway Station. The Legation Quarter, which is in central Beijing, right up next to、uh, Tiananmen Square, is a fantastic area to walk through. And that's really the world that Pamela and this book inhabits. So, although there's been so much change in、um, Beijing, pretty much everywhere I wanted to go to happened to be there, and I was very, very lucky. Can you tell us what did the investigation consist of, and who did the police interview, and what did they look at? Well, they、um, decided very quickly that the murder must have been within the foreign community. That this was a、uh, white-on-white murder, if you like. That this was not 
as some people had suggested, a crazy Chinese person who had decided to just commit this murder. There were a lot of people being forced into Beijing from the countryside at the time as the Japanese came down from Manchuria. There was a lot of sort of accusations. This must be some kind of crazy Chinese guy who decided to uh, murder a foreigner. The police themselves decided that this wasn't true and that it was a case somehow within the foreign community of people. So they looked very closely at that and they discounted the idea that it was a Chinese very, very quickly. They looked at different people. They were, of course, in what was called the legation quarter, which was the area you can still see in Beijing, which is uh, where all the former foreign embassies were. Slightly closed off area. It wasn't closed off in the way that... Um, sort of uh, Shanghai was as an international city, but, but you did need passes to go in and out. What they discovered was that on the edge of that, there were a lot of bars and uh, places like that, opium dens and things like that, that foreigners went to, and that uh, maybe they should be looking at the people there. And, and so that's what they investigated. And they did call in a number of people, various foreigners who really didn't seem to have jobs, who were just sort of drifting through the city, as well as some people who were seemingly respectable, but maybe underneath weren't respectable. So around that time, Pamela's father was also investigating the murder of his daughter by himself. Can you talk about what he found? Her father spent all his money and really ruined his health. He had several heart attacks while he was investigating mm -hmm. it, trying to find out who killed his daughter. And he sent all of the information that he was able to get back to London, which was then put in the files of the British government, which is where I discovered all of this extra information and interviews and evidence. I think if you read the book, explains who killed uh, Pamela and why they killed her. And all of that was done really not so much by the police, but by her father. And this journey from quite a cold, perhaps typically English upper-class father, to a man who gave everything, ended up in prison in terrible health with no money left uh, whatsoever. By that point, in his sort of mid-70s, uh, to try and uh, get justice for his daughter and find out who killed her, I think it's a very powerful story. Do you think the murder of Pamela Warner will ever be solved? Well, of course, I'd argue that I've solved it in my book. Other people have other theories. These will go around. The point is, you know, we've never been able to have a trial. But um, I think that I have the, definitely the most evidence and the most background material. I think people need to read the book and look through the material themselves. And there are, in the book, there are links where you can go and look at all of the paperwork that I looked at and the archives that I went to. And uh, people can make their own investigations. That was Doris talking with British author Paul French on his well-received work, Midnight in Peking. Shortly after this break, it is our usual book chat segment. This time, our reporters will gush out their thoughts on the new Harry Potter story. Spoilers are ensured, so listener discretion is advised. How to adapt a thriller into a movie? What is your favorite toilet reading? And when to give up on paperback? Want to know the answers? Join our discussion about all the trendiest topics on Ink and Quill. Hi everyone, thank you for listening to Book Chat. I'm Shi Yu. And I'm Doris. Well, this week is no doubt a time of joy for Harry Potter fans because a new book about our favorite visiting world has just been released. Yes, and it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Now, this isn't entirely written by J.K. Rowling. It's actually a play yeah. written by Jack Thorne and directed by John Tiffany. What is it all about? 
it's a continuation of the story from where we left off at the Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. But the storyline here is more focused on the next generation. Yes, two lovely teenage boys, Albus and Scorpius. Albus is actually Harry's middle child, and even though he's not an orphan, it seems that he feels that he's alone in the world. Yeah, I think he's burdened by his father's overwhelmingly popularity, and since. Albus is the only one being sorted into Slytherin in the Potter family. He's kind of stands out. Yeah, it's kind of sad to see him being the outcast. For me,、mm-hmm. he seems to be more like Harry than any of his children. And the other character is Scorpius Malfoy, the son of the famous Draco Malfoy. But he's not like his father. You know, he's actually quite a sweet boy who's. Over enthusiastic and desperate about making friends. So when we first met him, he actually sang a song about sweets. Yeah, I know, <laughs> and he doesn't sound like a Malfoy. Yes, but he's also an outcast because of the outlandish and ridiculous rumors about who was actually his father. Yeah, I know. So actually, the large part of this new play is about friendship, but the tune is quite. Gloomy, you know, compared with the first few instruments of the Harry Potter franchise, but it's kind of over dramatic. I mean, Scorpius and Albus hug a lot. I know. I counted like maybe over a dozen times that they hug each other and embrace each other, and it's kind of awkward for boys at fourteen years old. So I can smell bromance there. Yeah, somewhat. I think the writer kind of has overdone it <laughs> with the friendship part. Yeah, yeah. Another part. I think they have done too much. Is time traveling? Time traveling features quite a bit in the Cursed Child. Well, in case some of you forget that in the third instrument of Harry Potter saga, Hermione used a time turner so she could go to numerous classes at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Hermione and Harry actually used the time turner to save a very important character. And our new boy band, Albus and Scorpius, they want to use. Time Turner to save Cedric Diggory. I feel that time travel in this one didn't save anybody. Unlike the first time in, they used the Time Turner、yeah. in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Although they tried to save Cedric, but it turns out they destroyed more people's lives than they have saved. Yeah, the second time they tried to change the time, they make Harry Potter die. Yeah, and the whole world is ruled by Voldemort. One thing I couldn't get is that they try to save Cedric by humiliating him. Therefore, he turns into a Death Eater. So everything changes. You know what? I can't believe that. Although, as you said, Cedric is kind of boring, but he's a good person down to the bone. Yeah, I think some of the stories are kind of ridiculous. They want him to fly out of maze with feathers coming Naked. out of him. It's, yeah, that's not funny. <laughs> I mean, me, it's kind of like ridiculous. Maybe because the cursed child is a script, so compared with books, it lacks the richness in details. 
Well, reading the script is different from reading a novel. It's a bit challenging because you are essentially reading dialogues and stage directions. For me, the cursed child leaves so much to be desired in the descriptions of setting and action scenes. So, without actors behind them, characters actually many of them feel flat and undeveloped. In the original series. Even some of the side characters, the secondary characters,、yeah. are developed and fleshed out. But in here, for example, characters like Holly Chapman and Craig Bowker, I still don't understand who they are after、yeah. after reading through the whole play. Exactly. There are also some returning characters, for、mm-hmm. example, Harry, Ron, Jenny, Hermione, but they have quite different personalities. For example, although Harry may be the boy who defeated the Dark Lord, but he is a horrible father. He's a He's jerk. He's a terrible parent, especially to Albus.、Yeah. He actually said he wished that he wasn't the father of this poor boy. He is so mean and impatient in this play. I understand that the theme of Cursed Child is about the bond between father and son and what makes that bond more profound. But by the end story, I I kept wondering, does Harry Potter really change? I think the play. For me, mostly focused on his failure as a parent, and Ron's return. Ah, such a buffoon! Oh, poor Ron! He turned into such a one-dimensional character. At least in the Harry Potter series, he seems more intelligent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the play, he seems to be like a. Love sick puppy sometimes when he's with Hermione. Ron is the least developed character here, and in terms of character building, there's one problem about it. They introduce a new villain, and guess who? Voldemort's daughter. Oh my goodness! Can't believe that Voldemort could have a daughter. <laughs> yeah, and guess who is her mother? Bellatrix Lestrange. Can you imagine he had any sexual desire whatsoever? It's kind of disturbing because she's Voldemort's daughter, but everybody thought that Scorpius is actually Voldemort's child. See, that's really out of character. I think that's the reason why some readers complain that the new play feels like a fan fiction. But still. I think the setting of certain characters are not very bad. For example, Snape. Yeah, I like his sense of humor. But let's talk about one of the elements that confused us both: time traveling part. Oh God! Actually, J.K. Rowling blogged about time turners and time traveling, and she said the longest period that may be relived without the possibility of serious harm to the traveler or to time itself is around five hours,、mm-hmm. and all attempts to travel back further than a few hours have resulted in catastrophic harm. In the last part of the play,、mm-hmm. they actually stayed in the past. For more than five hours, they're actually breaking the rule of Rowling's Harry Potter universe. I think there are lots of disconnections between original franchise and the new story, and that's probably why some fans complain about on Twitter. Some say, "If I could get a time turner, I would use it to unread Cursed Child." Oh no! 
Is that, that terrible? terrible? Huh? Well, some of them love it. Some people say this new play is more character driven. It's more mutual and even related to reality. But for me, Harry Potter changed too much. I didn't expect him to be such a horrible adult,、yeah. even with like the stress of of being a ministry man, being the father of three、yeah. children. Yeah, but I guess I still live in this fantasy world where everybody's happy and you know there's no problems. You know, Harry and Ginny are happily married and、yeah. they have three happy children. So. Yeah, but that's a fantasy, and you know, J.K. Rowling once said, "After this play, Harry is done. I hope she does. I hope、yeah. the cursed child is a closure for everything." Yes. So, on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this play? Well, I'm a nostalgic person, so for good times' sake, I'll give it a six. Oh wow, you're very generous, Shiryu. Okay, so what about you? I wouldn't. Give it anything higher than a four. Oh my god! <laughs> Because it's so different from the original story. Yeah. Shiryu and Doris just gave us their reviews on the recently released script, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It seems that they are not that satisfied with the story. But what about you? Okay, time to wrap up today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world. To find more about us, you are always welcome to follow our Facebook account, China Plus. Thank you for listening. I'm Yang Yong. Goodbye.